regularly. We are going through the gospel according to Mark. And when I looked at the book of Mark months ago and I considered the first 15 verses of Mark, um, what was striking to me as I thought about, okay, you know, you kind of set up the series and you, you have things jump out at you. What, what would be, what's something to uh, accentuate? What's something maybe the Lord is drawing me to? What I was drawn to when I was setting up this series was the striking response of the crowd. Um, and again, you have, you have several different responses through Jesus' passion to Jesus, to what's going on. And here we have this response of the crowd who gets so riled up that they call for the torturous death of, a, of clearly of an innocent man who we know to be the Son of God himself. And then within this pressure, even the local Roman ruler, Pontius Pilate, caves in to appeal the masses. And it struck me even months ago when I set this up, how thoughtful we have to be not to move with the hysteria of the crowds. That, that was my thought as I was setting this up, and I came to Mark chapter 15, the first 15 verses. Man, we have to really be thoughtful not to move with the hysteria of the crowds. So here we are today. Mark chapter 15, the first 15 verses. And obviously everybody's talking about this fast-spreading virus and, and, and everything is uh, sh quickly shutting down the normal rhythms of everyday life. And, and I first want to say that I have, I have no um, ex uh, uh, knowledge of what is to come, right? I, I, don't, I can't really have a commentary. You know, it could be that in a few weeks or a few months we look back and say, man, that was really overblown. You know, it's a virus and, you know, again, wash your hands, be smart, or, or it could get worse from here. Like, do we really know? No, we don't really know. The worst could be yet to come, or we could be shrugging it off and saying, hey, a couple weeks of being smart and the virus has died out, Lord willing. But, but what I do know, and I want to encourage those who profess to be followers of Christ, and it really goes along with what, what Dave shared during our sharing time, is that, is that following Jesus should lead me to respond differently than the crowd. No matter what the scenario, and, and, and that doesn't mean the scenario is good. That doesn't mean the scenario is, is easy. It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be ugly, but still, if I follow Jesus Christ, if I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, my response should be different than the hysteria of the crowd. That's certainly not a call in our setting uh, against awareness, against common sense, against precaution, but it's, it's a call to be careful of a mob mentality. It, it's, a, it's, it's a call to guard against what sociologists, sociologists call groupthink. And, and what that idea is, this groupthink idea, is that, is that things can come up that are obvious red flags that we go, that normally if we were just on our own or, or with a couple other people, we'd say, oh, see that red flag? But since the group is all consenting toward one thing, we ignore the flags and we just think with the group. Um, it, it's a call to choose trust and to choose peace and, 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 and to... To, to choose those things over panic and fear. It's a call to remember God is still God. And we are still his children. And he still cares for us. It's a call to think of others and to care for others rather than just strictly hoarding the toilet paper. <laughs> rather than just strictly, and again, that word's already been given to us, 
thinking of and protecting ourselves. I mean, that's one of those things when we think about um, what, what comes to the surface in times like this, sometimes that is the ugliness that comes to the surface, that we say, me first, protect myself. And, and we forget about those who may, in fact, need even more than we do. Uh, so let's start. Mark, Mark 15, the first five verses we'll read. Um, again, last week we, we've gone through, Jesus has been brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, before the Sanhedrin. We've got that break in the, in the narrative where we see Peter, as, as Jesus prophesied, disowning Jesus three times. Uh, Myron shared on that last week. And now we find ourselves back in the courtyard um, of the high priest and in the, the inner rooms of the high priest where Jesus is being put on this uh, mockery of a trial. It says, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole, whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But still, Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. So we, hear, we see here that the plan is now solidified. We already know in Mark's narrative that they'd come to the decision already that Jesus needs to die. Um, but now they, they kind of make it official, or at very least they, they, they formulate this plan to, say, to, to, to uh, see this acted out. How will this actually happen? The Gospel of John, um, I believe it's in chapter 18, makes it very clear, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that the death penalty was taken out of Jewish jurisdiction. So if anybody were to be executed, it had to happen at the hands of the Romans. Um, they likely also thought that if the Romans, if the Romans take care of business, then, then it also takes the spotlight of liability off them. Um, they know as they go before Pilate, they know that this charge of blasphemy for, for Pilate, what, what does he care? Um, he, they, 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 hey, Jesus is, Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. He's offended our God. He's, he's proclaimed equality with God. Pilate, what, what, do, what does he care? But if they go before Pilate and say, hey, this man is guilty of treason, then all of a sudden, attention has to be paid. And, and really, there's, in a twisted way, there's some um, grounding for them to come forward with this because Jesus has already acknowledged that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and the prophesied Messiah, according to Isaiah chapter 9, is to reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So to, to say, for Jesus to say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, to acknowledge that, yes, prophetically, he is going to be a what? A king. So, so we see again that Mark, as he enters into this narrative, is incredibly concise. He moves quickly and directly 
through the narrative. The other gospels reveal, uh, kind of flesh this story out more. In fact, in fact, Jesus is first interrogated by Pilate. And then Pilate's like, I got an idea to get him off my hands. And he sends him to who? He sends him to Herod. Maybe he's Herod's problem. He's, he's, the, he's the Jewish pup, puppet king of the area. Herod just kind of toys with Jesus and then subsequently sends him back to Pilate. But Mark, being so to the point, basically focuses, and there's more dialogue, obviously, between Jesus and Pilate, but, but Mark cuts to the chase and focuses on one question that Pilate asks Jesus. And again, to, to Pilate, the main accusation is treason, it's sedition. Of course, this is deeply ironic, because when you think about what the people wanted of Jesus... But mainly the people, what they wanted of Jesus was for him to be a, a political leader, maybe even a military leader. They were unhappy being under the oppression of Rome. They wanted him to be this guy that, that says, hey, I'm Christ, I'm King, I'm Messiah, let's get rid of the Romans. That, that's the, the sense of what you, the Jews want. But now, in an underhanded way, they come to Rome and accuse him of just that, even though all along that's not the Messiah he would be. Pilate asks Jesus directly. We know at this point that he's bound. Jesus has already been badly beaten. And he asks this man that's before him, that's bound and badly beaten, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Is there any credence to these accusations? Um, Jesus, as he taught, if you remember the, the, just, the gist of his teaching, the framework of his teaching was the kingdom of God. And if there is a kingdom of God, there is a king. Um, but of course, practically speaking, if Jesus, if Jesus answers in the positive... First of all, it would seem ridiculous considering the circumstances. And secondly, it would seem self-incriminating. Why would he say he's the king of the Jews? It's almost like Pilate's asking him this question so he can kind of have, finish his breakfast. You know what I mean? Like they've come, they've interrupted his breakfast early in the morning. What's going on? All right. Are you the king of the Jews? Is there any kind of credibility to this? Come on. And Jesus answers, what? Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's a little, it's a, seems a little, in the, in the original language, it almost seems a little play on words. Jesus more literally says, you've said it. You've said it. In John's gospel, he goes on to explain a little more. Hey, listen, my, my kingdom is not of this world, really. If it was, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be here. If, if it was a worldly kingdom, I would have been, I would have been rescued from this. But th th there's something else going on. There's something bigger going on. My kingdom is not of this world. And Mark tells us that at this, the Jewish leaders send, send another barrage of accusations his way. And, and you, you, get a little bit of, you get a little bit of that here. You get it in the other Gospels. Um, they accuse him of, you know, he, he said we shouldn't pay taxes. 
he's, he's a threat to Caesar. He's, he's, causing, he's stirring up the crowds. And to this, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied, he remains silent. And then Mark uses this word that he actually uses several times. It's one of his little theme words throughout his gospel. When, when he describes Pilate here, and he says, at this, Pilate was what? Amazed. Why? Why was Pilate amazed, do you think? He didn't defend himself. Would you have defended yourself? Okay. Anything else? Why, why do you think he was amazed? Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he answered a direct question, but then, yeah, all these accusations come. Yeah. 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 In one sense, you might say it sounds crazy. Either that or there's something else going on. And you sense that Pilate, and Pilate was no admirable figure. Okay, when you read the historical documents on Pilate, Pilate wasn't a nice guy. But you sense that there's something going on that Pilate's like, there's something other here. And, and, and it's like, I, yeah, I, he's probably dealt with terrified prisoners. He's probably dealt with, um, prisoners begging for mercy. He's probably dealt with prisoners telling him to go you know where, angry, defiant, you know, railing against authority. But he's never dealt with a prisoner like this. And, and you sense that in the middle of this, Jesus is so calm. And, and Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus knows who his daddy is. And Jesus knows that his daddy, his Abba Father, is working it out for the good, even if the hardest is in front of him. He knows the hardest is in front of him. But he knows beyond that for the joy set before him. What a powerful example for us, for me, when I want to fret. When things are hard, when things, when, you know, what's going to be the ripple effect of all this coronavirus? You know, I, what a powerful example that the Lord remains calm 
It's almost like Pilate's like, wait a minute. You start getting this sense, who's really in charge here? How does this guy have this serene calm about him? Because he knows who he is. He knows who his daddy is. He knows he's going to work it out for the good, even if the hardest is in front of him. And let's not move on before we also acknowledge that Jesus is saying, you said it, I'm a king. And it's not, it's not simply the king of the Jews. It's the king of heaven. It's the king of kings. My kingdom is not of this world. But he's not a king that kills, to, to, kills people to establish his dominion. He's one in obedience to the Father that will die for his subjects to establish his dominion. That's what's so striking, these verses that many of you know so well. In in Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then it says, therefore, because of this, because he was obedient to the Father, even unto death, even death on a cross, therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. He's in charge. He's the king to the glory of God the Father. So when I come to Jesus and say I, I need forgiveness and I need you to be my savior. And he gives that to me out of his grace. I'm not just acknowledging a belief system. I'm bending my knee and acknowledging the sovereign reign of the king of kings in my life. You're in charge. Are you the king of the Jews? You said it. Is he king of your life? Verses 6 through 11. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas, who uh, was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. We'll pause there. You know, again, as we piece together the gospel accounts, um, we see that Pilate, again, though he was, he was historically kind of a, a merciless tyrant, is very reluctant to have Jesus condemned to death. That, that, may, that may not be in small part to the fact that his wife even, we learn this in Matthew chapter 27, sends him a, sends him a note and says, listen, I, I've had a dream. She had this traumatic dream. He had nothing to do with that. What does she call him? Anybody know? That innocent man. 
have nothing to do with that innocent man. So Pilate, you just sense more and more is going, man, what, what has interrupted my breakfast here? This is, this is so different, so other. So he thinks he's found out a way that, you know, that, that he can get around this as the people say, hey, hey, you have a custom. And even though Pilate, again, historically was very, um, very, very treacherous toward the Jewish people, the Jews hated Pilate. And Pilate apparently had no love loss for the Jews. Uh, to, to occasionally appease them, at feast time, he would release a prisoner. So surely Pilate thinks, hey, I, 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 I'll grant clemency, I'll grant, I'll grant release, the crowd's choice. I know Jesus has been a popular guy. Just a week ago, Jesus came into the city, and they're, they're shouting his praises and, and uh, calling him the son of David and Hosanna, save us now. But what Pilate doesn't seem to know is that the crowds have already been coerced and they're going to demand the release, not of Jesus, but a man named Barabbas. Anybody know what Barabbas means? Son of the Father. Isn't that interesting? Uh, some people actually think that, that he may have been Jesus Barabbas. And they distinguish because Jesus was fairly a common name at that time. So which Jesus will you have? The king of the Jews or the son of the father? Um, what's even more ironic is that Barabbas is actually guilty of what they're accusing Jesus of. Right? He actually is one that has performed treason, apparently. He actually is one that's, that's uh, stirred up sedition. He actually has even taken this to the point or been a part of a murder. But you also wonder... Perhaps Jesus, perhaps Barabbas is what many wanted Jesus to be. Pilate asks in a way that's uh, purposely antagonistic toward the religious leaders. He, so, he says that he knows, he knows that they're envious. He knows that they're jealous. He knows they see Jesus' popularity, his, his uh, influence, his authority, his power. And he knows they're envious of that. So, so trying to give him a little bit of jab, he, he refers to Jesus as the king of the Jews. Hey, do, do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews, released? But the people don't want Jesus. Not at this point. Give us Barabbas. And at some level, if we're really honest... You could see Barabbas as, as being kind of a local hero. I mean, how many of our stories are about the guy that rises up against the, the corrupt power? And if, it's, and if it comes down to violence, man, it comes down to violence. Right? If that's what it takes to, to unseat the corrupt power. Barabbas might have been a local hero. He might have been for us a local hero. We'd be, we'd be singing songs about him and writing movies about him and writing books about him. That guy did what I didn't have the guts to do. And on the other hand, Jesus is this nonviolent healer that, that, that preaches love and preaches peace and says that you should even love those who mistreat you and pray for your enemies. 
You say, really, which one would you be calling out for? I mean, really, think about your heart and think about your words and think, think about, you know, your, your attitudes and maybe even your politics. Would you be calling out for the nationalistic rebel or the nonviolent peacemaker? And I thought maybe we need to realize that the choice between Barabbas and Jesus really lies deeply in all of our hearts. The insurrectionist or the prince of peace? But it was the prince of peace that caused Barabbas to hear the jingling of keys at his cell door that day. It was the Prince of Peace that caused the fact that he was inexplicably, inexplicably said, you're free to go. Barabbas undoubtedly had a cross ahead of him. Barabbas undoubtedly had ahead of him what Jesus was about to experience. And instead of that, can you imagine where his mind, his psyche was at as he sat in that cell and all of a sudden a guard comes and opens the door and says, you're free. It was because of the Prince of Peace that the innocent was condemned to death so that the guilty could walk free. And that is just as true for me. And it's just as true for anyone that comes to Jesus in faith and realizes there's a prisoner exchange. Jesus condemned so I can be free. These last couple of verses, verses 12 through 15. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So what happens here is, is really deeply, deeply appalling. Um, the Gospel of John actually tells us that Jesus was actually flogged in the middle of this process, that, that Pilate was using it as an attempt to appease the crowd, there's some people that actually think, some people that actually wonder if Jesus was possibly flogged twice, that he was flogged to try and appease the crowd and then flogged before his crucifixion. And, and, and as with crucifixion, the, the writers of the Gospels didn't need to go into gory detail. Those who lived in that day knew what a Roman flogging was. They knew that their whips had, had these several... Le long leather straps and they had bone and, and metal on the end of each one of them and some of them were sharpened and that they would tie a man to a post 
and beat him. Two, two soldiers would beat him again and again and tear his body, his torso, his back, his legs to absolute shreds, to ribbons. Many people did not even survive a Roman flogging. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me. Psalm 129 prophesied. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. And then Pilate says, what am I to do with this man? What, what would you have me do with him? And they call out not just for his death. right? A Jewish execution was by stoning. A Roman citizen would be beheaded, which there would be a mercy in that. But they call out for the execution, the torturous execution of a slave or a foreigner. Crucify him! Zero mercy. They want blood. They want gore. They want pain. And it's deeply hard to really understand why they would even call out for this. You know, perhaps the leaders again had, had influenced the crowd and whipped them up into a frenzy. The, the leaders know Deuteronomy 23 says that any man that is hung on a tree would be considered what? Yeah, cursed by God. So maybe the leaders are saying, well, that'll, that'll be the proverbial nail in the coffin of Jesus' identity. Oh, he said he was the son of God, but really he's hanging on a tree. He's cursed by God. Who's to blame for this? Was it Judas? What was it? Was it the religious leaders? Was it Pilate? Was it the crowd? Yeah. <laughs> yes to all. But just as responsible as every sinner that Jesus went to die for. Galatians 3.13 actually tells us that what Deuteronomy 21.23 speaks of is exactly what needed to happen... And that Jesus did it willingly out of love. He became a curse for us, redeeming us from the curse of being condemned by God's perfect law. The author Bruce Milne writes, Pilate and Caiaphas disappear from view and Jesus stands before the judgment seat of God. He comes to that judgment as our representative to face our charges and to stand in our place. And because of this, we can praise God that the marvelous truth expressed in Romans 8.1 is realized. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But this story still demands, I think, for us to consider who will we call out for? What will we ask to be done with Jesus? Who will we side with? What should I do then 
with the one you call the king of the Jews. Pilate tried to wash his hands of his guilt. He literally did that in front of the crowd. I washed my hands. My, my, my hands are clean of this man's blood. But he was still culpable. He still made a decision. One writer, uh, R. Allen Cole, writes, Pilate is pushed inexorbitantly to a verdict, and his verdict is condemned every time we repeat in the Apostles' Creed the clause, suffered under Pontius Pilate. The religious leaders wanted the threat of their way of life murdered. Group think. Would any of them done it on their own? I, but group think, hey, yeah, he's got to die. The crowds called out for the rebel and the murderer over the Prince of Peace. Crucify him! A couple of quotes and then we'll end here. This is actually just a few lines by the author uh, Donald English. The crowd had no time for this lowly service of love approach. They wanted the Romans away. The story continues to have a strange relevance since the teaching, dying, rising, and ascending of Jesus are a constant rebuke to our human values and systems. Giving to gain. Dying to live. Measuring time by eternity. Estimating greatness by the degree of lowly service. First being last and last First, the meek inheriting the earth. They do not simply cause derision. They produce great anger. Mark's story not only tells us how it happened to Jesus. Perhaps with a sad shake of the head, he is preparing Jesus' followers for much of the same. And then Tom Wright asks, are we with Pilate, nervously allowing himself to be maneuvered into dangerous compromise? Are we with the chief priests, pressing home a political advantage without realizing that we are pushing ourselves backwards into complete surrender? Or are we with Jesus, silent in the middle, continuing to reflect the love of God into his muddled and tragic world. Perhaps those are particularly timely questions. Let's pray. Father God, please give us the wisdom that we need in a confusing time. And I pray that we are careful, Lord, not to simply follow the crowd. Help us to be more thoughtful. Help us to not be those whose love grows cold in the face of trial. And may we reflect Jesus, our King, prepared through prayer, calm in the storm, sure in our identity, trusting your goodness, sacrificially loving our neighbor, neighbor through all. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.